1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Look, we can handle a brutal decline in the stock of the world's largest company, Apple. And we can handle the yield on the 10-year treasury surging ever closer towards 3%. But we can't handle both in the same day, particularly on Friday. Hence today's shellacking, with the Dow lost 202 points. The
2: house of pain.
1: S&P sank 0.85%. Nasdaq <laughs> noticed high 0.127%. It's a real shame, you know why? Because we, we had a, Plenty of good news today, good corporate news, including a surprisingly good quarter from the down and almost out General Electrics, a dynamite earnings sheet from Honeywell, and perhaps the end of the punishment for one of our nation's largest banks, Wells Fargo, which settled with federal regulators for a billion in fines to put an end to its cross-selling scandal and automobile and whatever. Who even knows? But I know this. Its stock jumped 2%. Nevertheless, the algorithms, those pesky artificial intelligence gremlins, are set to sell stocks and buy bonds when rates go to 3%. And they had some extra oomph today as some of the higher-yielding stocks, stocks like Procter & Gamble, Philip Morris, which have been getting decked of late because of earnings. Well, those others in the cohort have been going down and going down hard. Apple, what can I say? Today, the most consistent bull on Apple, the fabulous Katie Huberty at Morgan Stanley, lowered the boom on the coming quarter telling her clients that Wall Street's consensus is too bullish on the company's iPhone sales. And that investors may be disappointed when they see the firm's forecast, especially because of sales weakness in China. Now, this stock had already been down for the last two days, thanks more to political than financial worries about China, including concerns that if the U.S. continues to sanction Chinese companies, the PRC might fight back by organizing a boycott of U.S. technology perhaps including Apple's cell phones. Of course, a lot of those iPhones are actually made in China, but this fight's in the opening round, so anything is possible. Still, Apple stock, which fell 4% today, was at the heart of this session's decline. So with all of that Apple and interest rate negativity in mind, why don't we go to see what's on tap for next week? First on Monday, Kimberly-Clark reports. And if anything, like the other consumer product companies I just mentioned that spoke this week, well, if we get those kinds of results, then I can tell you, its stock is not done going down. Even as it's already off 25% from its highs, fell 3% today to a new low, and sports a 4% yield. The maker of Kleenex sits right at the epicenter of two of this market's biggest problems. Those consumer products companies are being slammed on pricing because of competition. Procter's going after them hammering and tongs. And they're also experiencing higher raw costs. Ooh, man, that's... That's a nasty combo. Meanwhile, 4% yield isn't much protection if you can earn 3% risk-free with Treasuries. If Kimberly-Clark misses, the negative saga continues for the whole group. After the close, we hear from Alphabet, and this company, which is in a four-way race, remember I said last night, to the trillion dollars in market cap, along with Amazon, Microsoft, and the now deflated Apple, may actually find its stock surging if it simply does the number in Wall Street parlance. That's right, expectations have been lowered enough, and the stock's done little, it's up 2% this year, that an actual in-line number may cause its stock to rally. I want to know how search, YouTube, Waymo, the autonomous driving division, and perhaps most important, Google Cloud. CFO Ruth Porat, please let us know. Tuesday, Caterpillar United Technologies report before the opening. Thanks to a surge in construction and aerospace, respectively, these industries are on fire. Caterpillar may need to discuss raw costs going up because of the steel tariffs we talked about yesterday with John Farrill and Nucor. And both companies will no doubt have to deal with questions about China worries, as CAT's a dominant company in China. And United Technologies' best market for Otis elevators is the People's Republic. Maybe UTX CEO Greg Hayes tells us that his latest thinking on a breakup of the company. You mentioned that on our air. Remember that interview? Investors are salivating for more aerospace after the good numbers from GE's engine division and Honeywell's aerospace businesses. Well, they both made us feel like, break it up, Greg. If there's a consumer packaged goods company that can perhaps stem the decline in the group, it might be Coca-Cola, which also reports before the bell. This company has made some critical changes in the structure to unlock more value. And we'll know if these moves are paying off when new CEO James Quincy gives us the skinny. Hey, speaking of aerospace, we get results from big daddy Boeing Wednesday morning. And if it weren't for these tensions with China, I would say that this company would be the star of the week of earnings parade. Now, it still might be. I expect a magnificent number. But it's possible that investors just won't pay up for Boeing's earnings like they would have just, say, maybe a few months ago before we got into this escalating trade dispute with China? You know, I think the Chinese started it all, but that doesn't make any difference to the market. Maybe it just won't matter how well Boeing does. Wouldn't that be something? After the close, you have the most eagerly waited report of the week, if not the month, perhaps even the year. So I'm talking about the numbers from Facebook. How much did the Cambridge Analytica fracas hurt the business? Has there been a dramatic deceleration in the growth rate of this company? Have expenses risen, perhaps even dramatically, given the need to police its cyber pages? Will there be further revelations that embarrass Facebook and its management, assuming Mark Zuckerberg is capable of feeling embarrassment or maybe any other human emotion? at? Perhaps most important, what was the linearity of the quarter? Meaning, did business get worse in the last month as bad publicity took hold and advertisers pulled back? Do you know the stock's real cheap now? And and if there's no lasting impact, wow, I mean, this is a bargain. Otherwise, though, expect a test of its lows which would take it down 15 points from here. Meanwhile, as much as Facebook seems to have gone out of favor, Twitter stars on the rise. Can its stock maintain the renaissance it sparked after the last quarter? We'll be able to give it a head-to-head analysis with Facebook when they report. So much of what's going on, by the way, with China revolves around Qualcomm's acquisition of NXP Semiconductor, a deal uh, which has been all but kiboshed by Chinese antitrust authorities, even as every other antitrust regulator on Earth has given it the green light. Will Qualcomm walk away? And how deep really is the slowdown in smartphones that's behind the avalanche of selling that we saw in Apple? Qualcomm deals with all of the cell phone companies. So let's hear what they have to say before we keep shooting these stocks. And NXP? Wow, its stock has fallen to 105, a far cry from the $127.50 that Qualcomm was willing to pay and try still the deals out there. I wonder if Qualcomm has any non-sellers remorse itself about having turned down Broadcom's $82 bid not that long ago, considering that its stock's now trading at 51. Oof. Now, after the close Thursday, we're back to the trillion-dollar horse race I talk about when both Amazon and Microsoft report. We found out from CEO Jeff Bezos this very week that Amazon Prime now is 100 million members. How much have they spent? How's Amazon Web Services doing? How about Amazon advertising? The company tends to be pretty opaque, frankly. In fact, the disclosure that Amazon has 100 million Prime members was shocking, given how little we really know about these kinds of numbers from this company. Oh, and what are the odds they talk about the tiff with the president? over the U.S. Postal Service contract. I sure wish they would, because I think the USPS does just fine under the deal, despite the President's insistence otherwise. Microsoft has quietly built a cloud operation that's performing superbly, taking business that might otherwise have gone to Amazon. You've heard me talk about it, it's called Azure. They've also turbocharged LinkedIn. Remember that acquisition? Meanwhile, even Microsoft's playing all Windows? Pow! I like that, playing all Windows. Sacha, you watch the show. Pow! Well, their business has gotten a lift from renewed interest in personal computers. Finally, on Friday, we bookend Kimberly Clark when consumer packaged goods giant Colgate reports. Do you know that for years Colgate had about the best growth in the industry. These days, they're now past. I think that many of its business signs will be under pressure. Best thing that can happen, fingers crossed that its stock gets hammered before the quarter so it can bounce on an inline number, kind of like what I said about, uh, about Google, now known as Alphabet. The bottom line, next week's chock full of earnings. Let's hope that, unlike today, they actually matter. If they do, stocks are likely to go up, not down, when these companies report. Let's go to Patrick in Arizona, please. Patrick. Hi, Jim. I have some FCX Freeport. I'm not sure what
3: copper effect, uh, what effect it's going to have on the the tariffs
0: (laughs) are having on the copper. I'm trying to realign my portfolios. So should I uh, hold or fold?
1: I happen to like the stock of Freeport. I like the fact that copper is going up. But you are not uh, early in this. And I think that given the way this market is working, you're going to have to wait for a pullback. I don't want you buying it so close to its high, which is less than a dollar, in a market that seems to want to go down. Danielle, in my old home state of Pennsylvania, Danielle.
2: Hey, big Philly Dilly
1: Booyah to you. Oh, Mm -hmm. man. Philly special. What's up?
2: Hey, learning about the rise of pet care stocks from you last year when you profiled IDEX, I wondered what you thought about True Panion to isolate some pet care positions and get away from larger staples.
1: I have to tell you, Daniel, I happen to like the pet medical insurance business because if you are like us, we spend a lot of money on uh, Bug and Everest. They used to call them NVIDIA, but, you know, NVIDIA stocks going down. Just kidding. He's still NVIDIA. But you know what? We're going to stick with what brought us here. We're going to do IDEX Labs, and then Zoetis reports this week. And Sowetis is going to be more about commercial, I think, this time. But I think Sowetis ZTS is a higher-end company. How about David in Pennsylvania? Booyah, Jim, from the Smeal College of Business at Penn State. There you go. We went to Smeal. We had a great time. We love Penn State. Uh, Hey, hey, I've got to tell you, I think the Penn State, pretty good in the draft coming up. Jeff Marks, by the way, Penn State rocks. He's Action Alerts with me. Go ahead. Go ahead. My question is, uh, do you think the Fortnite craze will lead to a material impact on Activision Blizzard when they
4: report earnings on May 3rd.
1: Uh, Not this quarter, but I I do fear that that new game has taken the world by storm. Even though I think that, uh, you know, you've got eSports, I think that the consensus is building that Fortnite has changed the equation. All right, busy week of earnings on tap, and if the reports actually matter... Then I think stocks go higher, but they sure haven't of late. And when I tell you about Fridays, they're like the way I used to think about Mondays. Oh man, money tonight. Trump just took OPEC to task. I'll tell you what it, it means for oil prices going forward. It's a little different from what you heard from everybody else. Then I'm eyeing a few pot stocks. Yeah, I'm even going there. I'm talking about lighting up your portfolio portfolio, making some green just in time for 420 which I still don't even understand, but I say it. And the U.S. exported 16 million tons of waste to China in 2016, but this country, hey, they don't want to take our trash anymore. I'm talking some trash with Waste Management CEO to see how it's impacting the stock. So stick with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets.
1: The cartel, because I call it a cartel, the illegal monopoly raises oil prices, okay? So the monopoly, because that's all it is, it's a total illegal monopoly. If businesses ever formed OPEC, everybody would be put in jail. Oil that's close to 100, going to be over 100. And nobody in this country calls and says, get that goddamn oil price down. You get it down. And they can do it. You think they can? They have capacity to do it. Absolutely. Let me tell you. In the old days, Our people, our presidents used to call. We don't call anymore. They ought to call and they say, you get that price down and you get it down fast. And you know what? If spoken to properly, those prices would come down like you wouldn't believe. Nobody calls. Who's gonna do it, Condoleezza Rice? It's been a decade since then-citizen Trump came on this show and railed against OPEC as an illegal cartel, a monopoly, asking our leaders to make the call to OPEC to demand lower oil prices. Now he's president of the United States, and he thinks it's his job to force OPEC to bend to his will. Look, I get it. Oil's moved up a lot lately, not to 100, but it's moved up a lot. And even at this time, it's been happening with interest rates going higher, not lower. So the president's bashing OPEC with a tweet that indicated we are once again awash in oil, and the organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries is up to its old tricks. No good and will not be accepted, he tells us in his tweet. There's only one problem. If he calls OPEC, like he said they should have back then, and says, take that price down, like he wanted our leaders like Condoleezza Rice. By the way, she was the secretary of state at that time. That's why he said that. Here's what happens. There'll be no one at the other end of the line who matters. Because it's not OPEC that's behind this rally. It's the oil market itself. Plain old supply and demand. And that's the real problem. The president may not be the most subtle guy, but if he were to do a little more homework, he discovered that this particular situation is very subtle. That's because the OPEC that existed that exists today, well, it's a shadow of its former self when he made those comments to me a decade ago and mad money. You see, OPEC no longer controls the price of oil. Instead, what the president should do, he should check in with Paul Kibsgard. He's the CEO of Schlumberger, which is the world's largest oil service company. Kibsgaard would tell him the same thing he told everyone on his conference call this very morning. Key OPEC oil producers that used to be very important, like Angola and Indonesia, are showing big production declines. Venezuela, Paul said, is in free fall. Libya and Nigeria are producing it in your full capacity. Meanwhile, non-OPEC nations like Mexico and Norway used to be so big, they normally used to help temper any price increases. They simply haven't spent enough to keep boosting production. Even the United States, which has indeed become a gigantic oil powerhouse since 2008, literally producing more than double the amount we pumped back then when I interviewed then Mr. Trump. Well, we're running out of spare capacity, too. We're constrained by a host of infrastructure issues, among other bottlenecks. So who could the president call? Saudi Arabia. The Saudis actually do have the spare capacity needed because they kept investing during the whole downturn. You can make that case right now that the Saudis and a non-OPEC producer, Russia, are indeed keeping prices higher than they should be by holding back oil from the market. Russia obviously isn't going to do our bidding, but by all means, if the president wants lower oil prices, he should pick up the phone and tell the Saudis that it's time to produce more oil if they want to stay on friendly terms with America, not OPEC, the Saudis. It might help, but there's still one major issue that maybe the president hasn't thought about when he he did his tweeting. If the global economy keeps growing at this terrific pace, even the Saudis won't be able to keep prices down. There's just too much demand. Now, here's some real irony. If oil stays here at these inflated levels and the U.S. solves its own bottlenecks and we push for more alternative fuels, then prices will only fall by themselves. Of course, the president is a total fossil fuel true believer, but if he were to become a bigger fan, say, of renewables, you could envision a world where we could make ourselves independent even of Saudi Arabia. But we aren't there yet, and perhaps the auto companies will reduce the amount of oil needed each year by moving aggressively toward electric cars. That would make us more independent. Yep, the world has changed dramatically since that video. Renewables and the shale revolution here in America have managed to lower the price of oil far more than we ever thought possible. The Saudis could lower it still more right now, at least for the moment. But OPEC? Sorry. That illegal cartel? It's been busted. The president can call them but nobody's home. Much more mad money head. Trying to get in on the cannabis craze? I'll tell you some stocks in the space are, well, let's say they're on a weed-to-know basis. Then, we all know the current state of affairs between America and China is on shaky grounds. But how is a company like Waste Management handling the unknowns? And should it even matter? I'm talking with the CEO after earnings. And if this market's really ready to appreciate, well, how about the banks? I'm talking with regional bank First Horizon to see what's ahead for the financials. Stick with Kramer. For those of you who never really liked the Cheech and Chong movies, today is a very special day at least for a certain subset of the population. This is April 20th, 420, the day potheads like to go up in smoke, the highest of high times. So in honor of this dubious holiday, we're going to celebrate by taking a look at the state of the marijuana industry because this has become an incredible bull market, probably the hottest sector of the economy that remains totally illegal, according to the federal government. More and more states have been outright legalizing marijuana, both for legitimate medical purposes and somewhat less legitimate recreational purposes, including California, which is larger than most countries. But beyond that, there have also been significant changes in the way you can invest in the marijuana industry. So while I may not be a cannabis connoisseur, and I haven't talked about these stocks months, and I, I don't know the best way to tell you to get baked, I, I can absolutely, absolutely help you figure out how to play the booming bud industry or if it's even worth playing. See, there's just one problem. The weed business may be on fire, don't inhale. But there aren't many of these investments that look too attractive to me. I'm not trying to be a buzzkill. The issue is that there's been a huge cryptocurrency-like run in this group, and it's making most of these stocks too expensive for my taste. First, though, let's talk about the so-called green rush. Fact is that North America is looking more and more like Holland lately, kind of a continental hamsterdam for those wired devotees in the audience. There are dozens of peer-reviewed studies showing the benefits of medicinal marijuana, and over time, it's become less and less socially unacceptable. Don't get me wrong. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. Just say no. But I think this stuff will end up being legalized at the federal level within my lifetime. If only because prohibition didn't work. (laughs) It didn't work for alcohol. doesn't work for weed. It just gives criminals more ways to get rich and gets more people hooked on opioids. More and more states are realizing this. Look at this map, will you? we got nine states where marijuana is totally legal. The whole West Coast, Colorado, big chunk of New England. And you've got 29 more states where medical marijuana is legal. So how big is the industry? According to Cowan, which has done the most rigorous research here, the American cannabis market could be worth $75 billion by 2030. Even John Boehner, the, uh, the former Speaker of the House who was adamantly opposed to legalization, never seemed like he you wouldn't call him a chill guy, has gotten in on the action, joining the advisory board of a privately held marijuana company called Acreage Holdings. Now he thinks his thinking on cannabis has evolved, as he told my colleagues in the talk on the street last week. In fact, uh, just yesterday, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer submitted a bill to decriminalize marijuana at the federal level by taking it off the DA's list of controlled substances. This is an election year, so clearly Schumer thinks it's a winning issue. Of course, the Trump administration is very different views, especially our very old school Attorney General, Roscoe P. Coltrane, uh, Jeff Sessions. So you got to admit, though, he is a little reminiscent of the sheriff from the Dukes of Hazard. Uh, Sessions is not a fan of the marijuana industry, and that makes investing in these stocks inherently more risky than investing in something that's less legally murky. When you look at the cannabis investing landscape, though, the first thing you'll notice is that most of these companies are Canadian as Canada has a big government-approved medical marijuana industry, and they're expected to totally legalize the stuff later this year. A number of these Canadian stocks are available in the United States, but almost all of them trade over the counter. The pink sheets they call them makes them illiquid, highly volatile, and just generally the kind of thing that I'd be very hesitant to recommend on this show, or anywhere else for that matter. When you throw in the fact that these stocks have had enormous runs over the last four or five months, you can understand why I'm not a huge fan. For example, look at Aurora, Aurora Cannabis Company, where Canopy Growth Corp, or Afria. Those are three Canadian hemp farmers. These stocks caught fire in December. They ran up in advance of weed becoming legal in California this year, and while they've come down in recent months, they're still much higher than they were just six months ago. It's not just California. We've also seen the creation of a bunch of marijuana-themed ETFs. I can think of five off the top of my head. So these ETFs bought a basket of pot stocks that sent those stocks higher, which in turn pushed up the ETFs, and drew in more money from investors, starting the whole process again in kind of a virtuous circle I guess there's one more component. The marijuana stocks started blazing right around when the cryptocurrency bubble peaked. And I think a lot of those same people swapped out of Bitcoin and swapped into the pot space. And look, even though this group has pulled back from its January highs, the fact is that the valuations are still very, very, very extreme. Barron's talked about this in a recent cover story of the marijuana stocks, many of which were selling at more than 100 times sales, not earnings, which would still be very pricey, but sales, which is nuts. The Canadian recreational marijuana market might end up being worth $9 billion a few years down the road. But Aurora Cannabis is already a $3.8 billion company. Canopy is a $4.7 billion company. Afri is a $1.85 billion company. Basically, just these three wholesale growers are worth as much as the whole Canadian ganja market might be in, say, five years. That's very optimistic. I'd rather own a chain of nurseries. Here's the thing. Legalization is horrible for pot pricing, at least from the perspective of your pusher man. When states legalize, prices fall through the floor. I mean, it's a plant, for heaven's sake. The fact that it's against law is the only thing that makes it expensive. So if you're betting on the state of the industry several years down the line, you really should bake that into your numbers. I've seen it with my own eyes in Oregon, where they plowed up whole Pinot Noir vineyards, of very fine quality Pinot Noir, really some of the best, and planted tons of marijuana instead. Now prices have fallen so low that these people sure wish they had their grapevines back. What about Kronos Group, the first pot stock to be listed on a major U.S. exchange? You ever see that on the crawl? It's in the ticker underneath. It trades constantly. Kronos trades on the NASDAQ, making a very different beast from the other marijuana names that trade on pink sheets. The company is a diversified, vertically integrated cannabis producer with a presence across four continents. They have medical marijuana licenses all over the world, and they do their growing in jurisdictions where it's safe to do business. But is Kronos a buy? Maybe, but I know it's too risky for me to recommend to you. First of all, the company barely even has a business at this point. It looks like they're gonna generate less than five million revenues. Million, by the way. Not billion. Million. Uh, and the stock is valued at one point three billion? Yeah, billion with a B. Of course, it's growing like, well, um, yeah, okay, a weed. But even on this year's estimates, it trades at 13 times sales. Too rich for me. And I wouldn't touch the marijuana ETF. Same problems. If you you want cannabis exposure, okay, let me give you two of them. And they're kind of... Uh, They probably aren't as pointed as you'd like, but I don't care. GW Pharmaceuticals, a British drug company working on real medications that are derived from cannabis. I would recommend that stock for 80 points. Or you can buy Constellation Brands, STZ, the Kramer fay Brewer and Spirits Company that has a small 9.9% stake in Canopy Growth, the Canadian Grower. It's a marginal relative to the rest of the business. But if the weed business really does work here, then maybe it gives you a big payoff. And the interim constellation gives you some great ways to play my personal intoxicant of choice beer. Think Corona, Modelo, Pacifico. Oh, hey, by the way, here's something that's going to help the numbers sink a Mayo Falls on a Saturday. And it also happens to have the advantage of being a very well-owned company. The bottom line: when you're dealing with a controlled substance, you always need to play it safe. So when it comes to investing in the marijuana stocks, most of them are way too dank for me. They're downright bubblicious, which is why only GW Pharma and Constellation Brands have my blessing, because I don't want your money to go up in smoke. Stephen in Tennessee. Stephen. Hey, Jim. So uh, I'm calling today
4: in regards to Scott's Miracle Grow.
1: So I know back in early January, you mentioned Scott's Miracle Grow was the best play for someone wanting to get into the cannabis sector. However, later that month, the stock went down 20 percent due to slower than expected pace of regulatory changes in California. So now after the recent announcement of acquiring the hydroponic distributor sunlight supply on Tuesday, do you think this will position the company to dominate? Well, this specific niche of the market, you know, the core business, the, closed- the core business isn't uh, wasn't doing that well. But this is the growing season. We get good weather; it's going to go higher. It yields two point five percent. It's a very well run company. I'm not going to back away from it here. I think it's the right thing to be in. But remember, what I was saying then was just to be sure that that was a marijuana play that was better than a lot of the crazy marijuana plays that people were betting on. Ju- you know, did it work? Well, let's see. I think that it's not done. This is a spring stock, Julia in Arizona, Julia. Hi. Hi. Um,
2: I recently invested in NC back in August of 2017. Okay. And I have 1,505 shares. And, you know, the way the marijuana week has been going, it, it doesn't look like NC has done very well. I mean, it's gone up and down and up and down. And I'm wondering if I made a
1: mistake. Well, pure spec, not making any money, not the kind of stock that I'm going to recommend on the show. If you're in it, understand it is pure speculation and no more than that. And that's really important for you to know. When it comes to marijuana stocks, I think you have to play it safe. I know that is not the majority view, but I don't care. And when the smoke clears, the two that I think are going to be left are GW Pharma and Constellation Brands. We talked for a second about how hard it is to play these derivatives with Scott's Miracle Grow, but down here with a 2.5% yield, I think that's attractive. Much more money at is one man's trash and another man's treasure. I'm sitting down with the CEO of Waste Management, Jim Fish, to see if the stock could have, what you, what, have you cleaning up Despite the market's unknowns and China recycling issues, then with interest rates rising, much of the market has been focused on the big banks. But are they missing an opportunity with some of these smaller but faster growing regional players that do a lot of bank mergers? I'm going to sit down with First Horizon CEO after earnings, see how the company's ferry, and all your calls. Rapid fire. Tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. What's going on with the Stock of Waste Management, the largest waste disposal company in North America? Just this morning, Waste Management reported what I thought, by all accounts, was a solid quarter. Company delivered an 8-cent earnings beat off of an 83-cent basis. Business is doing pretty darn well with nicely better than expected organic sales growth. While the stock initially rallied, it only gave up all its gains. And this is getting to be pretty par for the course as waste management stock has been under pressure for most of this year. The reason? Turns out the recycling business is very levered to China, as the majority of recyclables that are reprocessed for sale end up being exported to the People's Republic. Even before the current trade disputes started getting out of hand, waste management was in the crosshairs as last year, the Chinese government announced a ban on mixed waste paper and mixed plastics that went into effect on Jam 1. Here's the thing. Recycling only accounts for 8% of this company's sales. So does it make sense for the stock to be penalized like this? Let's take a closer look with Jim Fish, the CEO of Waste Management, hear more about the quarter and where the company is headed, especially with respect to these Chinese issues. Mr. Fish, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, thank you, Jim. How are you? All right, well, Jim, I've got to tell you, I'm confused. you got a business that's eight, that, that is less than that is 10% of your company. I own the conference call. All anyone wants to talk about is recyclables. Shouldn't they be more focused on what is amazing organic growth and fantastic core pricing?
4: Well, sure. I, look, it's, it's, uh, recycling is one-tenth of the, of the solid waste business, but it is an important part of what we do, so I understand the, the conversation this morning. But... Look, solid waste was, was outstanding, and we've got a plan for, for uh, helping out the recycling business.
1: Well, can we talk about uh, commercial and industrial versus residential? Because that's stuff that I understand more than recycling. How are they doing? Right.
4: Well, so, so commercial, uh, you're talking about recycling then? No,
1: no. No, that's what they're talking about. I'm talking about your real business. I'm talking oh, okay, about pickup okay. and, and, and construction. Got it.
4: Well, so the, the strength in the solid waste business came from commercial, industrial, and landfill. The resi business uh, has, has been a little bit soft for the last few years, as we've called uh, some of the, the lower-margin business out. But, boy, commercial was outstanding. Landfill was good. Uh, industrial has been very good. I think it kind of parallels the economy and the strength in that and, in both U.S. and Canada, and also some of what we're doing on, on uh, our customer experience and our disciplined growth. And where are the uh, geographies that are doing the best, and what kind of construction
1: and commercial is it that's doing so well?
4: I tell you, it's hard to pick a geography that's not doing well. They're all doing well. I guess you could say that maybe Western Canada' is a little bit still a little bit soft, but, uh, but it's coming back as oil comes back. So um, most of the geographies are really strong right now. The ones that are doing the absolute best are probably in the South, uh, Florida, uh, Tennessee, Texas. California. Excellent. Now, are you having trouble getting drivers?
1: I keep hearing that drivers are in shortage in this country.
4: We're not having trouble getting drivers. Uh, we did put the $2,000 bonus out there, and, and we, we we're paying it at the end of the year. And part of our uh, objective there is as a retention tool. So it was not just to inject 2000 back into the economy. It was also as a retention tool. And, and what we find is that after a year or, or two at the at the longest, our drivers tend to stay with us, so we lose. Uh, when we lose drivers, the majority of them go in that first year. So we've bought ourselves a year with that $2,000 bonus, and, and we'll start to see uh, a reduction in, in that churn of drivers here in the next couple of months.
1: All right, now you introduced a term that I didn't know. we we'll go back to this issue that everyone's so plagued about, diversion. Can you tell our viewers right. what diversion is?
4: You know, we used to talk about it as recycling, and, and recycling is, is obviously a good thing. Recycling means you you reduce the amount of natural resources uh, that are used because you recycle existing products. Now we call it diversion, and diversion basically means that, that we divert more at the curb out of the trash bin and into the recycle bin. So the irony of that is that, that in, in many cases, diversion results in... Uh, a lot of that material ultimately ending up in a landfill. Uh, this morning we had our, our Los Angeles uh, recycle manager on uh, showing our employees what came through the recycle plant this morning that was diverted into the, uh, out of the trash bin and into the recycle bin. And it is, Jim, it's everything under the sun. It was a, a chain that looked like it came off of a cruise ship. It was weapons. It was, uh, you know, baby strollers. It was everything you can imagine. And and that ultimately is not good for Obviously, the economics of the business. Nor is it good for the uh, for the environment. Oh, that's crazy! All right, so let's just talk about China for a sec. I mean, they did really <laughs>
1: kind of shut us down. Uh, is that political, or is that just because they've changed the way that they want to deal with recycling?
4: You know, it may be political. I don't know, but but I think you know maybe their their primary objective there is to reduce the amount of trash that that essentially we've been exporting to them. Um, when you think about the fact that five years ago. The amount of contamination, as we call it, or trash coming in the front door at these recycle plants was 10 to 15 percent. Now it's 20 to 25 percent, and so China's tired of that. And 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 I don't uh, I don't debate that with them. They, they've said we're gonna what you're gonna send us is going to be 0.5 percent contamination. So it's it's resulted in an increase in our our operating costs. And the way to handle that is is to look at our. Uh, customer base and, and educate them on what is recyclable, and and if they if they still can't get it, then we'll we'll have to charge some fees. All right. Well, look, I got to tell you, I'm more focused on
1: what on the stuff that is making you all the money, not the stuff that is costing you a little bit of money. That's why right. I like your stock, Jim Fish, President and CEO of Waste Management. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you too. Thanks. If you were on this conference call, you wouldn't believe it. It's all about China and recycling, which is not what they do for a living. Their money's back in. It is time! It's over the light the light round! And then the light round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy! Time for the light round, crazy. I want to start with Mike Mike Viking, in California. Mike. Jimmy, I'm trying to look for an entrance point on Align technology. Morgan Stanley just kicked a lot of sand in my face, so what do you think about this? You know what? The stock is breaking down here. I see it. You see it. So let's wait a couple of days, and then we pull the trigger. The business is fine. I want to go to Damien in Florida. Damien, how, how you doing, Jim Kramer, Love you. show. Recorded every day, man, on my DVR. Thank you, buddy. What's up? Hey, I wanted to know about Regions Finance. Uh, I see it has a failure. A wave has been detected. Can I buy? Do I wait for I think Regions is real good. We just had to talk to First Horizon. I think they're very good, too. I do like the banks here. How about Ted in New York? Ted? Hey, Jim, booyah! Booyah. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on applied materials. I like applied materials so much, but you know what? Every morning I wake up and take a look and see what's going on in China. At 3 o'clock I get up, I don't like what I see. Applied materials, a good business in China. We're going to let that stock come down a little more, break down a little more, see what happens in China, and then, trigger. Clyde in California, Clyde. Calling on Edwards Sciences, Life Sciences, E.W. Oh, that is a great bot. company, and they have the best device. You don't have to crack open the chest cavity of, an, of a person in order to be able to do the heart work. That stock is a buy. Ah. I need to go to Gene in Pennsylvania. Gene. Hi, Jim. I've learned so much from watching your show. Thank I you. bought QLYS a few weeks ago before its run-up. Should I hold or sell? Well, look, the last bastion of stocks that are still holding up are the, uh, the cybersecurity stocks. And I've got to tell you, I think that's a good company you've got. I'm not going to discourage you. My problem is just, you know, everything is coming down. Everything is coming down, and we have to wait to buy any more for those. That's what I've been telling people in the Plus.com club. Let things come in. We're going to get better prices. Scott in Florida. Scott. Ooh, yeah, Jim, from Hollywood, Florida. Hollywood, Florida. My grandparents just delivered. What's up? <laughs> hey, Jim, the company I'm calling about has gone up 70% over the past year. They make aircraft uh, replacement parts for engines and general aircraft. Yeah. And I'm just curious if, if you think they're still investable at this point in time or not. The company oh, you know what? We're not buying anything at the- 52-week high. But Stock Center, 52-week high today, they've pulled back between 3 and 5%. We are going to Bye Bye Bye! But they got to pull back first. There's only a few left that are still up there. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round.
2: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: With interest rates spiking here, are we finally ready to appreciate the banks? So far, we heard from the big money centers, some of the smaller regionals. Even when the results are strong, it doesn't seem like anybody cares. Now, though, upon further review, investors are waking up to the idea that it could be a very good time to be in the banking business. Take First Horizon National. It's FHN, the Tennessee-based regional bank. Tennessee just on fire here, more than 300 locations across the southeast. Here's the company reported last Friday. Initially, the market's response was just <laughs> meh. First Horizon delivered a 3 cent earnings beat off a 31 cent basis. Key metric here is net interest margin, what they make off the difference between what they pay you for your deposits and what they can make from investing or lending, and, and also, of course, borrowing, uh, buying trish, uh, Treasuries risk-free. The number here was huge, up 52 basis points year-over-year, 3.43%. Year, the, that's the largest delta I saw. We I mean, use that delta word, it's fancy. Management also told us the recent acquisition of Capital Bank going quite well, allowing the company to hit its long-term profitability goals a year early. Yet the stock actually ended up going down. It was about off a percent on the news. Even here a week later, you're getting that quarter for free. I think it's actually crazy. But don't take it from me. Let's hear from Brian Jordan. He's the chairman and CEO of First Horizon National. Learn more about the quarter, his company's prospects. Mr. Jordan, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's good to be back. All right. First, I just got to ask you, Brian, all day today, all I heard was, oh, my heaven, the sky is falling. We are almost at 3% on the tenure. You've been around for a while. Is the sky falling You forget the 3%?
3: No, the sky's not falling. That's about as predictable as the sun coming up tomorrow. Interest rates had to go up, and the Fed has been very clear that, that not only have they raised rates, they intend to raise rates in all likelihood two or three more times this year. And steepness to the yield curve is a good thing. The 10 ten years going to migrate up as the Fed normalizes on the short end and reduces its long-end pressure with the... Uh, the uh, uh, quantitative easing that was implemented in a couple phases over the, uh, the early 2010 to 12 time frame.
1: And is it possible that people either forgot or we have so many young portfolio managers that they don't realize that being a banker in this environment makes it so that you should pay a lot more for that banker' stock?
3: I don't know. It it may be that that it's a sense that it's going to slow down the economy. and, And I don't see that happening. I see pretty good fundamentals in the economy. But to your larger point, financial institutions clearly do better when interest rates are higher and when you get that steepness in the yield curve.
1: Now you are in uh, because of this most recent acquisition a footprint in a lot of states. Are you seeing anyone in the actual business world, business people, who are saying, you know what, Brian, I don't want any First Horizon money. I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to borrow here because the ten years at three.
3: Right. No, we're not seeing that. We're we're seeing pretty good customer activity. Folks are borrowing money. There's a continued follow-on impact. I'd say positive from a lessening of regulation in the economy and we're now starting to see the impacts of the tax act that was implemented in the December timeframe. So I'd say customers are still fairly optimistic and we see good pipelines and good customer activity heading into the second, third, and fourth quarters of this year.
1: Well, I'm glad you asked about deregulation because I speak to a number of small business people, some of the businesses that I have. Small business people I know want to open the next store. They want to open the next restaurant. They want to buy the additional truck because they're much less worried about regulation. It's just kind of a mindset. Your customers are seeing it too?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Our customers are are looking for opportunities to grow and to invest. If I had to make a categorical statement, I would say financial results in 2017 were better than 2016. That leads to a stronger 2018 as people have more money to invest in growth. And I'm, I'm very optimistic about the outlook over the next three to six months.
1: All right. And the last question, when I was on a lot of the big bank conference calls, there was the criticism was, how could you only be making this little amount off a of net interest margin, given how much the Fed's raised rates? You are giving us the numbers that I thought other banks would give us. Why are you participating so well in net interest margin?
3: Well, there's two factors. One is, and you mentioned in your introduction of me earlier, that, that the capital bank transaction has added a little bit. Uh, they had a little bit higher yielding balance sheet and then you get the effects of purchase accounting. But if you set that aside, the bigger driver and the likely to be bigger driver in the future is, is that rising rates or asset sensitivity benefits financial institutions and it certainly has had an impact on us. Our balance sheet is tied to the short end of the interest rate curve, meaning that we have more floating rate assets tied to prime and to LIBOR, which adjust when the Fed moves Fed funds. So we're seeing that flow through our balance sheet, and we're very encouraged that we can continue to build on that momentum as the Fed continues to normalize. The Fed funds in this environment.
1: Well, I appreciate the sanity with which you just told that story because it's what matters to our investors. That's Brian Jordan, Chairman, President, and CEO of First Horizon Nash. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sir.
3: Thank you, Jim. All
1: right. This is one cheap stock. Now, we have been on this stock since 11. Do you think we know what we're talking about? You know what we do? We listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. Stick with Cramer.
2: The earnings are relentless and the schedule is grueling. But Kramer has burned the midnight oil, and he's ready to run the gauntlet to find you a raging bull market. Powerful executives, scores of tough questions. All week, Kramer sits down with some of the market's most influential C-suite players. Join Mad Money on air and online for must-see interviews you can't afford to miss.
1: here's the issue fridays are now bad why because we're all fearful of what the chinese will do on sunday i can't blame you for selling on fridays because i don't know what the prc is up to but i know that they are not happy with our country we're not happy with their country and they can take action that could hurt our stocks so that's why the where the caution comes in and i think it's actually rational like I said there's always a bull market summer i promise i'll find it just for you right here on mad money I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, package and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business.
1: Absolutely, positively FedEx.